right, I am live here with Steve Saparito. He is an extraordinary marketer and a consultant to photography businesses, and he builds seven-figure businesses all over the US, Australia, and all over the world. So thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. So Totally excited. Let's get going. It's 1 a.m. here, so <laughs> I'm hopefully I can answer some questions. Yeah, uh, and by the way, I, I want to let people know the way I found you was I saw you speaking on stage at PPA, and I went to a ton of different talks and a bunch of different stages sponsored by everyone. Um, and when I saw that your name was there, the headline was absolutely amazing. I was absolutely blown away, and I have to let the viewers know, like, I followed you around the expo, and I just had to learn everything about you. And thankfully, I kept in touch, like, online, and you agreed to talk to us. So um, I know I have a lot of questions for you, and specifically, Ooh. you know, nowadays with, you know, a lot of photographers wanting to get to that level, or a lot of people thinking that level isn't even possible. So before we even get there, like, can you just tell us, like, how did you even get started in photography? You know, what was your journey to get here being, you know, such a big role, role model and consultant for people? Wow. Okay. Well, I was a chartered accountant and didn't really enjoy the accounting world, um, working out people's taxes and then giving them a bill at the end of it. Um, even though you save somebody 20 grand and $20,000 in tax and they, they, they only think about what they have to pay. So I ended up purchasing an existing photography studio um, in a shopping mall and I loved photography at the time and hired photographers, hired makeup artists, and I grew that business um, into three more stores. So we, over the course of 15 years, it took me 10 years to actually make money. It took me 10 years to physically work out what was going on and, and how to make money. And then I opened up a second studio and then I opened up a third um, overflow studio um, because my first one was booked out, um, fully booked for two months, sometimes three months ahead. So I needed um, somewhere else to send all these extra people that we couldn't fit in. And it was only meant to be running two days a week, but it probably ran four days a week most times and pretty much did 80% of the income of my, um, of my top store. So that's, you know, my, my main store was doing about $130,000 a month every month um, when I sold it. And then that secondary store was doing between 60 and $80,000 $80, a month. And my other store, which was on the other side of town, um, stupid move because it was a lot of tra traveling was trading at about 90. They did about 90,000 a month, rarely cracked a hundred, which was disappointing. But anyway, at the time I didn't know any better. I thought that was, that was pretty bad. <laughs> so I, I guess I'd be curious, like what made you specifically pick photography out of everything you could have done and knowing all these other businesses and how much money they made, what would make somebody in the right mind choose photography? Well, I loved, I loved it. I loved the concept of it. And I, in putting my accounting hat on, I did a feasibility study um, for one of my clients. And I'm like, oh, this could be really profitable. Like I'm looking at the numbers, the margins are good. If the volume's right and the average sale's right, then, you know, it should be easy to make money. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that easy for the first 10 years. 
because there was a lot more to it. There's a lot more psychology. I think because people buy emotionally, um, I didn't factor that whole emotional part of it in. But once I, I mastered um, the psychology behind how to set up the store, what people were attracted to, um, how to help people, um, how to help people value themselves enough to buy photography. I think that's the, the biggest key uh, to this is that it didn't matter how great our work was. It didn't matter how great my makeup artists were. It didn't really matter. Um, you know, we, we improved, 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 but it didn't seem to make a lot of difference to um, profits or to turnover. But once we started uh, really diving in and helping people find out what mattered to them and understood the psychology behind why people buy from us, then the business just took off. So, I don't know, I just loved it. And it was so far away from accounting and I, I hated accounting. I think I wanted something that was polar opposite to what I was doing for eight or nine years. Yeah, so... so that, you know, university degree went to waste. Well, not really, because I still use it to a degree. So I guess my question would be, because for a lot of people, that might be a very foreign thought, right? Like buying a photography business. So let's just say somebody right now, and I know that was a while back, but what would be the the biggest difference, right? Like what made you want to buy someone else's business instead of starting it from scratch? Was there any benefit to that financially? I, there was one up for sale um, and the staff were already employed. It was already doing an okay, an okay turnover. And I kind of figured, well, you know, I've been, my family's been in business um, their whole lives. I took on accounting as a, you know, distraction for eight or nine years. And then, you know, coming back into business, I didn't think it was going to be any different. So buying an existing one seemed easy because all the equipment was there. I kind of figured by the time I set it up, pay for the fit out, pay for the equipment. Because back then, equipment wasn't as cheap as, as it is now. We were paying, you know, 30 grand for, you know, uh, a decent camera. And, you know, by the time you add it all up, it was probably easier just to, to buy one outright. Um, but um, the, when you say, you know, it's foreign to a lot of people that, you know, to buy a studio, I've had maybe five or six of my clients sell their businesses, sell their studios. So I think that if you're building a business that um, we should all be building businesses that are sellable and at the end of it, um, if you can cash that in for whatever that is, um, you know, a paddock, some sell for 700,000, some sell for 200,000, only one got over a million dollars for their business. So um, it's doable. But you have to be focused on creating a business that's sellable. So I guess on the other side of that, right? So of course, I, I agree with you. I think the biggest payday someone can have is basically the day they sell their business. Um, and just out of curiosity, when someone goes to buy a business, and I've been kind of learning a little bit about this, is there's different, um, let's just say there's different levers people can pull, right? Like they can either pay X amount right now or they can pay X amount over time. So you can't get the premium pricing with a blown sum up front, which a lot of people think if you're going to buy a business, you got to pull $700,000 out of your bank account and now you're in the owner. Um, have you seen that, you know, is that something in photography where like owners are willing to like stay on, you know, are you buying over time? You know, how, how did that work? Um, most of them, 
got a cash upfront amount um, and they're required to stay usually six weeks for a transition. Um, so that's all negotiable. That's all part of the, the negotiation on the sale. Um, but the owners tend to stay for a handover um, and because there's staff as well that uh, are, are going with the business that are re-employed with the new owners, then the team pretty much knows what to do. As an owner, you almost need to make yourself irrelevant um, <laughs> on the floor and insofar as making the business work. Um, you shoot because you want to shoot, you sell because you want to sell, not because you have to. And, you know, when you're preparing a business for sale, having all of those people in place that can do all of that makes your business a lot more valuable. So most people are looking for a return on their investment and anywhere between two to three times. Um, if there's a decent database, if the alliances are set up and, you know, the marketing is set and proven um, with, a, you know, usually a five-year track record, then you, you tend to get the best money after that five years so, so for, so for any other business yeah yeah I, I guess that's right right um you know and even sometimes i get in that trap where i always i'm trying to be cognizant of like photography is not different than anything else um but what does someone do if or is that change if somebody has a studio that's designed around just their brand name it's just them as a person their whole studio is named after them does that make it make it exceptionally hard or how do they you know, position themselves because someone might come in and say, Hey, look, I can't take over Joe Schmo studio. I'm not, you know, John Smith. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's a valid point. Um, the, the people that I train, we, we address that um, early on in that if it is, you know, Steve Separito um, photography, then we need to come up with another name. Um, if the plan is to sell it in, you know, or, or to build a business that is going to be sellable. So it's a lot harder to sell something and for someone to come in and, and take over a business that's named after you. So uh, the studios that so far have been sold all have had um, generic names. So, well, not generic, but not named after that specific person. And it was done intentionally. Um, I think because of my accounting background, you sort of advise people, you know, get your, get your, um, get all your company set up, make sure that you've got, you know, somewhere to, you know, so then that way you're not paying the highest amount of tax and think about whether you are wanting to retire in the next in 10 years, because as we build the business, then it needs to be named something that you could possibly sell if that's something that you want to do. And some people, you know, it's not something they're interested in. But I kind of figure that if you're going to work for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in something, at the end of it, why not sell it and, you know, $700,000 to do something else with is, is good money. Yeah. And Whether, I, guess, I mean, everyone's, each business is going to be valued differently. Yeah. So I, I guess on that topic of valuations, like, is there something that like, you know, through your training or the studios that work with you, something that they're doing that maybe other people might oversee. And to, to the top of my mind, maybe things like they don't have their books straight, you know, they're not accurately keeping track of things or they don't have a system or processes. Everything is just kind of ad hoc. So like the business wouldn't be transferable to somebody if someone just says, well, how do you get your clients? And you know, if that person looking to buy it says, 
or the seller says, well, for my Facebook page, I have a really good word of mouth and people call my personal yeah. cell phone or, yeah. you know, <laughs> how do people start positioning themselves? Is there something that, you know, those studios do differently? Well, the, through the training that I do, I've, I've mapped out every system that there is in running a business. So um, depending upon what course there is, there's um, workflows. So the workflows are just mapped out and it's like a tree diagram and there's step one, there's step two, step three, step four, and, you know, everything's mapped out. So having a studio manual um, helps raise somebody's confidence in buying a business um, so that every single procedure is, is mapped, up, ma mapped out and documented. And, of course, uh, a solid database that is current because a lot of people may have a database, but it's not kept fresh, it's not kept current, um, or they've switched between multiple databases and none of them really have any of the information that, that, that are needed. Or, you know, sometimes they don't have a database at all. Um, so a prospective buyer probably isn't going to be looking at anything that doesn't have um, a solid database and, you know, solid marketing that's in place, the, those relationships that, that are in place and documented and agreement signed um, between the two parties. So all of that, I think a lot of the times when I'm coaching people, um, they don't tend to have marketing that is um, documented or agreements are signed. If there is a third, third party relationship with, with another business that they're now feeding you um, clients and there isn't really a, a studio manual that documents all the procedures that that have to happen and it's got to be profitable so you know nobody's really going to be looking at investing a lot of money if you know if it's not profitable so making sure that the average sales are up there um, is really important too because nobody you know if, if it's profitable you get a lot you get a lot more offers yeah. And I'm sure, you know, even with that in mind, having the, I'm going to sell this at some point, you treat it differently, right? It's almost like you treat it like someone's looking at your books or yeah. looking at it from the outside. Um, I'm assuming that probably also makes it easier to start new studios if that person, let's just say, isn't retiring. So is that something they also use like those manuals, uh, the marketing material, the processes for selling? Is that something you see people are able to like just transplant into other cities or how does that, how, and how does someone even go from, I mean, most people aren't even able to build one. How does someone know that they're ready for a second studio? Um, the sec second studio, um, well, building your first studio is the, is the primary thing. Um, and a lot of people aren't running at, at capacity. Um, you know, they'll come to me and say, oh, I'm thinking of a second studio, but in most cases I haven't maximized the current one. And it's much easier to make a lot more money out of the first one. Um, than it is opening the second one. The one thing that I learned when I opened up my second studio was that it, it, it made my initial studio dive because my attention was now split between the two. Um, and what I thought I'd be making double the money, that just didn't happen because, you know, both studios sort of, as one came in, the other one dived and then this one dived with it as well. So I was actually making less money until I figured it out and then, you know, they both started going up. So really you're not ready until the systems are in place um, and you've got good people trained to to run basically 
run it run it with you having the, the staff in place and the right training in place and the document and documenting all of the systems is is really really important understanding the systems um I've got a lot, a lot of clients that have moved from one city to the other and all they've done is is implement what they've learned to another city and it, it doesn't take long to start new, a new studio, but while you're running a, a one in the background, it tends to put a, 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 it's a lot more work. So you've got to be a lot more prepared. I think you've, you've really got to look at have I, have I filled all my days? Are there you know, have I maximized my team and have I maximized, you know, the time that I have and what most people don't look at is the average sale. So is the average sale where it should be? Because maybe if all they focused on is increasing their average sale by, you know, $500 or a thousand dollars, that could possibly make them more money than opening that second store. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think yesterday, me and you were talking about somebody that had basically moved from Hawaii to somewhere yeah. in Virginia. Um, yeah. and, and I guess that's, that's actually a huge question people normally have is especially for like military families and people where mm. you know, maybe a spouse has a full-time job somewhere or family reasons they move and instantly they just think all this work I've done. People only know me here. My social media is only here. I'm done. I'm not going to be able to get clients and they'll get to the new place and you know it's slow for and you know we're just kind of they're spinning their wheels everywhere like how does yeah. that how does that work with someone that's working with you what do you normally advise them to do well there's two, there's two options um I, when i started meeting all these military families i'm like oh my, this is amazing they move every three years they could potentially build a business and sell it a cash in every three years this is like sounds amazing um, <laughs> Because, you know, when I, when I was opening studios for my clients, you know, within two weeks, a month, um, we had it up and running and three years is enough of a track record to, you know, to get something for it. It's not going to be, you know, optimal because five years is five years track record is a lot better, but it just means that you can constantly be building, 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 building. And rather than just closing the door and leaving and having to start again, you know, get a, get a cash payment for whatever the, the business is worth. And then you've got all that money to then put into the next one and, and start again. Um, but obviously you're selling that business, you're selling the business name. Um, what I've had a couple of other people do is that they've found um, a photographer, trained the photographer, trained a salesperson. And because they've set up the relationships with all those different alliances, all those different, um, other businesses as third parties that are sending them clients that relationship is with that original person so they've just kept a photographer kept the salesperson and those leads are coming in they're pretty much already because of the relationship that they've had they've pretty much already um, conditioned to buy because of the third party and so you know the business is running even though they could be in another state, in this case, Virginia. Yeah, so it's funny. So it's, it's actually a big contrast to think, hey, that's the worst thing that can happen for a photography business and that's like the best thing that could happen for a photography business. Yeah. Um, so as far as moving, like are the people keeping the same name? Are they, you know, do they have to completely create a new brand or how does that work? 
Um, well, this particular in this particular case where she kept the, the the photographers running, then she's kept the same brand and she's kept the same name and she's just operating out of two places. If you're selling, then you have to come up with a new brand and because you've sold that brand, you've sold the name. And so when you're moving to another state, you just start again. You've cashed in. Just make sure that there's no exclusion clauses that stop you from trading, you know, within, you know, your certain area. But usually when you're moving states, it makes no difference. Um, those, those sort of clauses don't, don't tend to um, affect you. So you just come up with a new name, XYZ Photography, and away you go. So one thing I always hear from photographers too is like, well, well, Murdo, like what if someone comes into my studio and then they start siphoning off my clients and they're shooting out of their backyard or they have access to my email list? Like how do I safeguard that? Uh, what would you say to that? You know, is, is that like a real concern? As in an employee? Yeah, like an employee. Because, you know, I, I understand, especially in a, in a lot of industries, like there's always like a feeling of guardedness, right? Where it's like, well, you know. Yeah if I show this and what stops this person from going and opening their own studio and beating me at my own game, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I suppose a lot of people do have that concern, but usually, you know, the photographer does the photography part of the role and the salesperson does the sales part of the role. Um, rarely do you have people doing multiple or all the roles because we all know that there's more to it than just photography taking photos there's more to it than just selling there's marketing there's relationship building there's all the other stuff um so i think the the other thing is that if you're giving people consistent work and you're paying them and you're rewarding them really well um most people don't leave most people don't do that because you're looking after them so when you are consistently marketing and you do have a business that's consistently making money, then nobody has that fear because they can't go out and make as much money as they're making, you know, working for you in most cases, because they should be rewarded. Well, if we're making money, why wouldn't we pay our staff? Well, yeah. And that's a good point. And I guess I have trouble finding like a writer. I have trouble finding a graphic designer remotely, like all over the U S so like, yeah, exactly. where are people finding employees for this? Like, you know, is this something they post on Indeed? Are they going, you know, how are they finding people? Referrals? Um, usually, uh, a lot of the times it's a past client. Oh, wow. So a lot of the times um, hiring somebody that's been through the experience and understands the experience and is already a raving fan. Um, that has the talent that you need and you need to hire personality. So you always hire personality and train skill. So you can train somebody to, to do almost anything if they have the right personality. So you would always, always, always look for personality. You would always, when you're interviewing somebody, ask them behavioral type questions that reveal all of those traits that you're looking for. So then that way you know that you're hiring the right person for that role. Um, you know, for a retouch, you don't want it. You, a retouch, you don't want to be hiring anybody that, you know, loves outdoor sports and loves, you know, team, you know, 
team sports and is a, is an extrovert because they're going to be sitting behind a computer the whole time <laughs> and they're, they're not going to love what they do because they want to be out and about and meeting and greeting people. Um, whereas your salespeople, you, you do want that extrovert. You do want that person that um, wants to be part of a team and, and loves all those extra, uh, you know, extra things to do. And it also helps you learn how to manage them if you understand what type of personality they are. So, you know, sometimes letting somebody go off and, you know, buy the milk um, rather than you picking it up is that break that they need that makes them a lot more productive. So just understanding their behaviours, understanding what, what's important to them um, really, really helps. And a lot of the times the rewards, it's more important for them to receive rewards that are not monetary rewards. So some of the studios that I train, you know, they may plan, you know, if they reach a certain target three months in a row, then they'll take them. Um, I've got one studio that takes their, no, actually two or three now, that take their team overseas. Um, and it's a holiday thing that they, if, you know, if they hit the target, then they go overseas. And, you know, they tend to go overseas every month because they hit the target, you know, it's three months in a row. But then, you know, if they hit it three months in a row, then in month four, they hit it again. Then they're away again in month five if they hit it again. Like it all sort of compounds. So, um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's fine. I guess to take almost like a one step back and up, I guess my question would be like for someone listening and they're, they're just like, well, that sounds amazing, but I don't have an amazing studio. And by the way, I'm going to also preface by saying I've watched a lot of these like studio tours you've done of like King and Fields of folk studio. Like these places are amazing. Literally they look like, they look like a showroom floor for like a designer or an interior. Like they're amazing. Well, um, they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like it's a photography studio. It, it should be gorgeous, shouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. So I guess, you know, like some of these topics is like, you know, number one, do, does this system building, when does it start? Does it start only when you have a studio? Does it start when someone's still shooting in their garage in their basement? And then how, how do they, yeah, how does someone know when they're ready to get a studio? Well, almost everybody I start working with is doesn't have a studio. It's it's rare. So most people are working out of home, out of their garage, um, out of the trunk of their car, and we just teach them the system. So it's more about consistency, um, building those alliances, getting the marketing in place, then getting the systems in place so that when the clients are coming through, we're converting them into quality clients. Um, my belief is that great clients are made, not found. So we make great clients and then we bring them through this an experience whereby we help people discover what's important to them about their relationships and what matters to them. So then that way when we photograph that part of them, then they just want to buy photos. It's, it's about creating, um, creating photographs that people genuinely want to buy, would love to surround themselves with in their home. So then it just makes it easy. You don't even have to sell really. So once that system is in place and you've proven that you can repeatedly do it, and there's money in the bank, which doesn't take long um, to, to build that once you've got the system in place, um, then 
it's okay for you to, if you want to sign a lease or, you know, buy a bigger car because you want, you know, <laughs> you're happy to, to run your business out of your car and you, you'd prefer to, to, you know, give offer clients a service whereby you go to them and you're designing artwork in their homes and you're displaying it in their homes for them at the, at the end of it. So each person's different. Uh, not everybody wants uh, a big studio or not everybody wants um, a premises. Some people want to buy a building and then fit it out and create their studios in it. Others will rent. Um, but I've done lots of transformations in people, you know, using segments of people's homes. So maybe a basement, I've done a few, quite a few basement conversions where we've converted a basement into a studio and design consultation room um, and garages, they work as well. Um, and then some people have built an addition to their home that becomes the studio. So sometimes it's in an office block. Um, it just depends on what's available or, you know, lately we've done a, we've got a few in, um, in is it industrial parks? Is that what you call them? Oh. Like an industrial park area. Parks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's more of a factory, more of a factory type scenario where big space, cheap rent because it's in the middle of nowhere pretty much. Um, and then we just divide it up and, and, and create the space. But it's got to start with the system. You've got to prove first that you can make the money. You've got to prove that you can bring the marketing and, and, and create quality clients, have the quality product for them to buy, create photographs that people want to buy. So it, it's, it's all client focused um, and about making, you know, creating raving fans. So then that way, those people are then referring you more people like them and then everything sort of automates and just compounds and, and runs because the, the clients love what you're doing for them and they want to share you with their friends and family. And sometimes they'll bring in, you know, bring you into their business because they kind of figure that this could be a great reward for um, their clients because they've had, to, had such a great experience, you know, they kind of figure, well, you know, I'm looking for something to reward my clients with. These days, especially retailers struggling, they need to somehow build loyalty with their clients and what we do is perfect for that if we give people a meaningful transformational experience. Uh, it does actually sound amazing. Um, and it's funny because uh, I used to have a really good friend that was the marketing manager at Saks Fifth Avenue and she was always trying to like just kind of like create experiences for the clients. Like it was basically clients that spent over a hundred grand with the store. They would get special invitations. They'd go to these boutique uh, experiences and just thinking about it. It's like, you know, people like that are they're like, they're dying to find like alliances or they're dying to find people to provide that for yeah. uh, their clients. So, and, and, and I know also, also lots of holiday planners as well like that are um that are renting out luxury homes with that home they have lots of experiences that go with the home so being part of you know part of that package um helps as well so oh wow so, we've had a few of those as well wow so i mean and that, that I guess in, in a sense, like, of course that's marketing and it's a different type, right? Cause it's different from what people think. It's like, Hey, I'm going to go put something out there. Hopefully people come get me or find out and love me. Um, and I, I know a lot of people have a, a wall or resistance where they're like, 
it feels salesy to go ask people to partner with them or feel salesy to get alliances. Like how do they break out of that and make that approach to offer someone that they might think, wow, these people are out of my league. This is a extremely luxurious home. They would never refer their clients to me. Like what's the first step to like building that bridge? I think the first thing that has to happen is you have to um, provide an incredible client experience because everything grows from that. So really, really focusing on understanding what matters to a client, really understanding um, how to communicate with people to make them feel comfortable and build instant trust, understand how to build rapport with people and like asking talk. I think the biggest mistake photographer when I'm training um, to break habits, the biggest habit we have to break is we need to stop talking about ourselves and we have to start asking questions about our clients because this is their experience and not our experience. So the better we get at asking quality questions of our clients, um, asking a, asking a mother, what is unique about her child? What does he bring to the world? And, you know, even if they have three children, if you were to just focus on one, that, that one child, because he deserves to be celebrated as for who he is, what is unique about that child? What is he, you know, what do you see in him that nobody else sees? Because if I can photograph that for you, that part of him that only you see and you understand, then that's what we're going to bring to life. So really what we're doing is increasing our clients' awareness and sensitivity to those things that are important to them. And what we're trying to do is create the best version of that family, the best version of that couple that we possibly can before we photograph them. When you do that, then the clients just want to buy from you. You don't have to sell really because we're now we've created um, something magical for them that they just want to buy. And when we do that, they then refer us more people and it all snowballs from there. That's when you become delicious as a, as a brand to, um, to your clients and to other brands because of the experience. So it has to start with the experience, you know, tricky, marketing schemes yeah you know they bring people in but they're never going to bring the same caliber of person in as when you truly truly believe in your clients truly see that in every single person there's a there is a hidden gem and you know these days so many people are in relationships but are really lonely so many people are looking for more in themselves. They wake up every morning and look in the mirror and, and think, well, what happened? Like, who am I? And they tend to lose part of themselves over time. So just helping people rediscover that as part of what we do in our process. Um, just, I don't know, it's almost like taking a rough diamond and, and polishing it and, and we hand it back to the, those people. We're taking these people and we're just, you know, making them brilliant again. And then they go back to their families 
because of the experience that we've given them as completely different people because they're now receiving each other differently because of the questions we ask, because of the awareness that we've created for them. And I'm rambling, so oh, yeah. <laughs> I better get it back to you. <laughs> no, and I, it's, it's funny because, you know, from when we started, someone listening might say, well, Steve was trying to say that you needed processes and you need to make basically a conveyor belt. It's going to be cookie cutter experience for everyone. But you're creating, and, and I've heard this, um, it's almost like bespoke equals be broke. And that means that like, if you keep doing ultra custom experiences, marketing and, you know, sales conversations, and every time it's different, and again, it's not going to be processed and it's not going to be transferable to anybody, but you're going to spend a lot of time like reworking and reinventing the wheel where what you're describing is like, you know, that tree, that diagram, but then at the same time, it is, everyone feels like it's custom because it is because you're having specific connections with each person and you're learning about them and they go through their journey. And while it's not bespoke on the uh, side of the studio where they're, you know, having to like tailor every experience, it feels like it is to the person. It totally does. Um, I think people mistake systems for being, you know, mechanical cookie cutter, but the systems are, are pretty much understanding the psychology behind different types of personalities and being able to adapt to different personality types, understanding um, how an, how an average person um, reacts, where do they tend to look when they're making decisions? When, where do they tend to, when they're imagining what something will look like in their wall on their wall, where would they tend to be looking in that room and then placing product according to what, the average person, normal, the average person, there's such a thing as normal, you know, the average person, what, where they tend to look, where they tend to draw their information from. Um, most of what I teach is helping people. I don't really, realistically, I'm just teaching people to be normal human beings in front of a client rather than something mechanical that's trying to make something up all the time. Um, you know, I, people come to my workshops and it's like, I just want you to be human. <laughs> like all I'm teaching you to do is to be human. How would you behave if you were meeting a friend? Um, how would you want to be treated if you were meeting a friend? What would you say to that person when you're meeting somebody for the first time, a friend's introduced you to a brand new person. You know, what is the first thing that would come out of your mouth? And we just, you know, there's a system, but the system's all about how to be human. So you had to bring humanity back into what we do. So th these client experiences and, you know, getting these clients, I know you mentioned something earlier where you said, you know, the, that clients created, not, you know, found where I, I guess to start, like if someone says like, Hey, I, I need clients, you know, I, I feel like my experience and my work is good. Um, but I just need to get in front of them. Like, where are they going to create those clients? You know, where, where have you seen has brought in, you know, the most bang for effort and, you know, where are the studios you're working with? Where are they starting? Oh God, that's a big question. Okay. Um, that's a big question. There, there are three basic ways to grow business and we are told, you know, the three ways are to, to get more clients. 
which we've been sold to as an industry as the only way to grow a business. The second way is to get your clients to use you more often. And that is the easiest way to grow a business and the most cost-effective way. And because you've already educated those clients, it is the easiest way. Um, it's the one way that increases your average sale as well, which is the third way to grow a business is to increase your average sale. So normally when I bring clients on board, the easiest way for them to, you know, to, to start generating more funds is to reach out and remarket to their better clients that they've already, already got. Are you doing birthday mail? Christmas is around the corner. What does your Christmas camp campaign look like? That should be ready to be hit, you know, rolled out in November. What about your Valentine's Day promotion? What's happening there? What networking groups are you visiting? What's happening in those networking networking groups? The networking groups are to get, you know, new clients. But when you're marketing for Christmas, you're marketing for Valentine's Day, you're tapping into your current client. And in most cases, then that gives them the opportunity to refer you more people just like them. And how... So, how are how are people bringing back repeat clients? I mean, is this something like, you know, are they just sending off an email, a text message, or are they like picking up the phone? Well, it's usually if it's a campaign, they'll send out a, a gift certificate with the letter, and then you know, possibly picking up the phone. Um, I put a challenge out at the beginning of this week um, to to my group and 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 said to them, look, this week, let's just think of a client that, you know, really touched you that you really did feel a connection with and just call them and say, Hey, it's been six months. It's been a year. Um, I've been thinking about you. Couldn't help but call you. What, what have been the highlights for the past year? And um, there's been people, you know, posting, um, and I can send you some of the posts. Um, you know, there are people that are booking two, three people a day. We don't even have to ask for the booking because once we start asking clients about what have been their highlights for the year and they start talking about that, they start talking about their family. We start asking questions about what that means to them and they'll say, Oh my God, we, we need to come and have another shoot done. And the clients pretty much, um, bring up wanting to come back purely because we've reached out for them. Um, I travel a lot and it's, I, I make it a mission to talk to as many people as I can. And I've normally, you know, I will normally have, you know, one or two people crying in the, in the lounge waiting for the plane. And, you know, they, they finally turn around. So what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I train photographers, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, no wonder. You know, I've never spoken to anybody like this before. You've been incredible to talk to. You. You've got to come and take our photos. So it's as simple as caring. It's as simple as seeing somebody. Um, you know, when people say to me, I've got no clients, well, I said, just open the door, walk outside, and, you know, talk to people. Um, and the people that literally do that, I've got – you know, three or four people that consistently will take their kids to the park and just talk to other parents and they book, you know, two or three people, you know, a week just by taking their kids to the park. There's clients everywhere. Most people are dying for somebody to see them 
most people are lonely and they just want someone to see them and somebody to see something good in them. And when we do that, there's, there's an abundance of clients because everybody wants to be celebrated. Everybody needs this. So if someone tells you like Steve, like that gives me anxiety. Like I, I can't, I can't muster to go talk to a stranger or compliment anyone. Um, like what's, so talk to I mean, the people you know. talk to the people, you know, talk to the clients you've already, you've already served. And you know, most people get, rep- when you do this process properly, most people will, um, will book again. Are you doing birthday mail? Like, and sending out some sort of an offer? Like, are you, you know, so, you know, when they say they have anxiety, there's got to be a point when they have to start talking to someone. Yeah, that like makes we're, sense. We're, we're, we're in the business of people. So if you're a portrait photographer and you're taking photographs of people, then, you know, we have to love people. We have to celebrate people. We have to welcome people we have to look for that hidden treasure inside of everybody as photographers we have to be like the archaeologists of emotion because so many people have buried their emotions so far deep inside them that they don't feel them anymore so for us to then talk to somebody and find out what's important to them find out what moves them emotionally why do they love this person why is this person important to them? What does this, you know, what does it mean for them to have this child? Like you're pregnant. Great. So, you know, what is, what is important to you about this child? What do you wish for them? What, what is going to make him the perfect dad? What's going to make her the perfect mum? So we're asking both sides, but we're photographing people. We have to face them at some point. And it's so much easier on the phone than facing somebody face to face. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I, I might be a little bit of a millennial because like, I feel very passionate about this online. Um, I know it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more disconnected, but I think online now, like it's made it so you can even reach out and connect with even more people much faster. Um, so is is there, is there, that's the only problem. It tends to be a lot more superficial. You can't be without the conversation. And I suppose you can have conversation um, online, but you can't, you can't hear the tone. So you, you've got to listen for what people mean. Um, and tonality constitutes 38% of all communication. So listening to somebody's tone and what they mean is really important. So, you know, there's, there's a certain point where you, you, you need to get people off social media, off email, off texting as quickly as possible because you're missing out on a huge chunk of um, that communication that's necessary to, to, for them to truly open up and for them to discover what is important to them. So then you can give them um, photographs that for them is meaningful and is life changing. For sure. And, you know, in, in the high rollers, like we are adamant, people got to get people on the phone. Um, and 
yeah, I can't tell you how many times there's people that are just like, no, like I don't want to be on the phone. I just want to email people and hopefully they'll just pay my invoices. You go into a studio and you know, they want your help and they tell you they don't want to be on the phone. Like what's your reaction to that? You know, we hire, we hire somebody that's great at it. Like if it's giving you anxiety and you suck really bad at it, then you're not, you're not allowed in the phone. We just have to hire someone. Because what is it costing you not to have somebody that loves being on the phone? Normally five to 10 clients a week. How much is that worth to you? And I don't know what averages, you know, the, the people in your group are getting, but you know, for my clients, that's, that's 15, 20, sometimes $30,000 a week. Wow. So I, you know, I, I'd hate to have this conversation and not talk about, um, not talk about average sale. So for a lot of, for a lot of people, it's, it, you, you just kind of, you also, we've been talking about creating your ideal client. Is that just, does that stop at the booking phase or does that stop with the whole experience getting them to the point of sale? Because I time and time again, you know, I see it in Facebook groups. I see it in our email responses. People will write us and say, well, you know, they, they said this one thing during the sales process and I want to know the one word I would have said or the one sentence to have tripled my sale. Like, what is that magic key? So like, how are they getting to those ridiculous numbers that you just, you know, that you just said, right? Like 15. And, I, and I've seen some posts where wedding photographers are talking about their $18,000 sales and up. Um, so where is that? And is there a line that just triples sales? It's an, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's building a relationship with somebody and it's about um, building trust and for you to really truly understand what's important to those people and deliver, deliver on that. Um, it can't be done with a sales line. Um, those, these clients, even before you've taken a photo, have imagined what you're going to do for them because of the conversations that we have with them. So, because of those conversations, they're seeing their child um, with that look of pride on their face as they finish creating this block, the, the, their Lego. And they're, they're, they're telling you what that means to them to be the first person that that child looks to, towards with that look of pride. And they're describing to you every stage of, you know, him completing that and looking up at them and what that means for them, they're seeing that on their wall. You've quoted them however much you believe, whatever product, find out about their decor, find out about, um, you know, the, where it's going to be displayed in their home. And then, you know, you might be quoting them 1500, 1200, whatever that is for whatever product you're going to sell them. And so in their mind, they've seen it on their wall already they're falling in love with it because that's what they truly want. And, you know, they've got two or three weeks now to think about, okay, this is going to cost me this much money. By the time they came, come in, it's almost like you're at the supermarket. You put things in the shopping cart when you get to the register, you know, you sort of know how much it's going to be. Like there's no surprises because people are fully aware even before they've come in for the shoot that something's going to cost them a certain amount of money. So it's all done, you know, over time. I mean, those wedding photographers, it's because they're getting those numbers that they're getting them because they're, they're creating those relationships with those clients. They're calling 
the parents, they're finding out, you know, you know, my motto is we're not just photographing a bride. We're not just photographing a groom. We're photographing somebody's son. We're photographing somebody's daughter. And we need to find out who this person is as a daughter to their mother. Who is she as a daughter to their father? Because that's a completely different relationship. And for him to have that voice and for him to describe who she is will change the way you see that person and will change the way you will photograph that person in a way that those photographs become so much more meaningful to that couple, to that, to those parents um, and to the bride, obviously. And we do the same with the groom, you know, who is he as your son? You know, how has she, how has this woman elevated him? What has she brought out in him that nobody else has been able to bring out in him? Who is he as your son? What are those qualities that he brings to the world that you see in him? Because I want to see that. I need to see him through your eyes. And I think that once we do that, the photographs become saturated with what people honestly, truly love about that person, which then makes them incredibly valuable. Yes, we need great composition. Yes, we need great lighting. Yes, we need great, you know, posing. But that third element, that, that heart, that, that soul to a person, that's where, that's what people spend money on. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel like I've taken so much from you and, you know, people listening have, like, it, it just opens up a lot of potential and a lot of blind spots that I feel like even I've had or, you know, for the, the listeners. Um, I really you know, appreciate my daughters, my daughters are teenagers now and, you know, yeah. boyfriends and whatever. But, you know, for, for a photographer to call me and ask me about my daughter, what she means to me, um, what do I see in her, um, you know, uh, that would be incredible would I not buy from you because you've come and asked me that about my daughter, even though it's, you know, her wedding. So, you know, a lot of the photographers that I'm training are not only selling albums and designing albums to the bride and groom, but the parents are are, are buying albums because they want a custom designed album because of the conversations that we've had of what's meaningful to them. You know, the mother of the bride isn't that interested in getting ready photos of the groom. Like, (laughs) She wants to fill her album with um, photographs that are relevant to her. She's got people that she's talked to us about as their photographer of who are important to them and why they're important to her. People that maybe she hasn't seen for a really long time, but are still really important to her. And if we've taken the time over time to call her, find out what's important to her, talk to the dad, you know, what has he got to say to his daughter? Like, what is his message that he wants to, wants to say? When you hear these dads, at, you know, with, this, with their speeches and some of the speeches that they create, it just tears your heart out. What if that happened a year before? Because those brides half the time look shocked that he's even felt this way because he's never, never said it before. What if we gave them a whole year of that before the wedding and she knew that and they were able to build this even stronger relationship leading up to the wedding. Imagine what the speech would look like or sound like, 
sorry, at the, at the wedding once all of that was said a year ago because we started that conversation. We started initiating all of that and um, got him to express what, what he truly loves about, about them. So, you know, a lot of these sales are coming from, you know, albums that are, are maxing out spines because people genuinely are seeing the soul of what we are doing for them and are genuinely loving what they're seeing so that it becomes irresistible. And they, you know, we, we tell them up front, you know, as we, as we're talking to them, you know, that could be an, a, 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 an incredible double page spread. And they know that it's going, the album's going to be maxed out in some cases to volumes. The parents given the option want to design their own so in some cases, they're selling, you know, two, three albums to every wedding. I'm going to assume that this, uh, you know, we're in the high rollers with Jember and Smith and me. I'm going to assume that this doesn't change much when it comes to like boudoir, right? Does this no. change a lot when it comes to pets or other portraits? Because I feel, you know, a lot of times we tell ourselves stories of like, well, that's great, Steve, but like that's a wedding. Weddings are important. You know, someone's boudoir is just, you know, whatever. So maybe this doesn't apply. And I feel like everything, the reason this works across no, all these different states, countries. Totally applies. Totally applies. It's all the same. It's totally all the same. So, you know, even for pet photography, you know, asking somebody what has that, what, you know, find out the dog's name. Let's pretend it's Molly. It's my dog's name. You know, what has Molly brought to your family? What is her personality like? You know, what does she bring to each one of your children? What's the relationship that she has with Olivia? What does she bring out in Olivia that a human can't bring out? So if you watch my daughter Olivia when she's with Molly, just alone time, she's a completely different person. She's a much more likable person, lovable person when she's around Molly. And for me as a father to describe that to you, um, and for you to capture that part of her that I would love to see more and more of, that's invaluable. And by the way, I, I feel like this is something also that isn't, doesn't take forever to implement, right? Like, um, and I feel like when they improve this experience and they, the connection, they're improving the ultimate product, right? And everyone is always so wrapped around like, how do I market? Like, I mean, the kind of like you mentioned, like, how do I do my next little gimmick? How do I do my next little, you know, quick fix? No, no, I, I know. I'm talking about like, they're always focused on like, how do I do that next thing that'll convince people, but there's just not enough time put into like, how do I improve my craft or product or experience? I think it's, I think a lot of people are looking for those quick little phrases or something that they think is the magic bullet. But in actual fact, it's just all about caring enough um, and asking the sort of questions that add value. So, you know, my motto is add value at every, every point you can. So, you know, sometimes we know that, um, you know, a couple need a little bit more time. So we'll put off the shoot and maybe we'll call the call up the husband and say, Hey, you know, if you were to create a perfect day for Rebecca, what would that look like? Because, oh, well, I've done that for a long time. Yeah, well, I know. But what if you did do it? What if you were to create a perfect day for Rebecca? She opens her eyes. What's the first thing you've got planned for her? 
and just get him to talk about it, you know, if he wants to create a perfect day. Um, and then at some point say, well, how hard would it be for you to do one of those things? When's the next time you could possibly do one of those things? And, you know, bringing couples together before a shoot is what we need to be doing because if we can photograph the best version of that couple that we possibly can, then we become irresistible and we don't need all that stuff you're talking about because they're falling in love again. He's done something to go out of his way. And, you know, if we can help people go out of their way for each other again, then that's all people need, really. That's what it's about. And just encouraging them and opening up the possibility of, well, could you, could you possibly not go to the gym one day this week? So then that way when she does open her eyes, you're actually there. Would that mean something to her? Could you write a note maybe and leave it beside her bed so the moment she opens her eyes, she knows you're thinking about her? Like how much time does that take for you? Yeah. The, I mean, those are really great points. And uh, one thing uh, I focus a lot on, you know, digital and, um, you know, just advertising till uh, basically I, I, I guess I, I'll simplify it is I normally tell people that from what you're saying, that experience is the core product. And if you add all these fancy Facebook and Google and you add all these fancy email automations, you're just going to amplify what you have. So if you had a bad product, a bad experience, you're going to find out even faster and more people are going to find out faster. But if you have a good one and you have, uh, and you're, and you care and you provide an amazing experience and you know, and you have that, then you're just going to like, um, accelerate it. You're going to add fuel to the fire. But I feel a lot of times, you know, people don't, like I was saying, they don't focus on the product and then they just add the fuel and then everything blows up and they're like, wait, it must've been, fa it's Facebook's fault. My business isn't growing. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the experience has to be right first because if you're then going to put your clients on, and, and we do this quite often where, you know, we'll have a client of the month where we, you know, showcase a client and showcase their story. Um, and usually, you know, the people that know them the best are the first ones to comment, the first ones to reach out, the first ones to want to book um, another session with us because they've seen the difference that this has created for that relationship that, 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 you know, suddenly, you know, dad's actually taking, um, taking, you know, a couple of hours on a weekend to take his child to the park and is actually, you know, pushing him on the swing without having his, his phone in his hand and, you know, doing this rather than, you know, physically being present for that child. Um, you know, I've interviewed, I've inter I interview the clients of my clients. So I, I interview the families that a lot of my clients are photographing and listening to a 13 year old tell you that since they've had the photo shoot, you know, it doesn't feel like they're walking into an empty home anymore because mum and dad pay attention when we come home now. Um, you know, listening to these kids, they're so wise, they're incredible. And, you know, if we can do that, you know, photography to me is a tool that opens up the doors for us to bring families together and to help people just be better people and, 
give children back their parents and parents back their children and why not? Yeah. I, and that actually reminds me, I have, I have like a memory burned in my mind. I had, when I was starting my photography career, I was photographing a lot of military members and you know, I was basically, you know, offering them the session. I was practicing my sales process on the back end and everyone was saying no to me at first or people would just kind of look at me and be like, yeah, cool. You know, I was a special Marines operator and they're like, sure, we'll do a photo shoot at some point. And they would blow me off. And one, one day I asked, um, somebody I really respected him and his wife and his wife was a, like a midwife at a hospital. And she told me beforehand, brought them in, tell me about their kids. And she was like, look, my kids, they are not going to, they're not going to be nice to each other. They're, they just are always at each other's throats. They're going to beat each other up. Like, good luck with that. And by the end of it, I had so many photos of these kids, like holding hands and like hugging each other and embracing each other that no kidding. My entire business was basically set just from that midwife telling everyone in the, in the, in the hospital. And I just remember thinking like, it's not that the photos were amazing or anything. They were at the park and they were competent and well lit. But I think it was that. It was that she loved just telling stories of the, of the photos and the kids and of that day. And it was just night and day compared to what she explained to me what the kids were going to be like. And they, tend, they turned out to be you know, an amazing experience for all of us. And we went for ice cream afterwards and they were very surprised at the end of it. Yeah. And that, I think that's my, what makes the biggest difference. I think for a lot of relationships, we stop getting curious, you know, as time get goes on, we, we believe that there's nothing left to discover about that other person. And if we ask the right questions, we just start raising people's curiosity because we're curious and it's amazing how much people learn about each other, you know, 10, 15 years on, and we spark up a new curiosity. We start up a new discovery process where people actually start going out of their way for each other again. And when we do that, then we start taking photographs that mean something to someone. So, I, I'd you know, actually, yeah, I, I think a lot of people think, you know, people don't value photography anymore. It's not that people don't value photography. The reality is that most people don't value themselves enough to be photographed. And, you know, if we can help people feel more valuable, help people feel as though their relationships are worth photographing, then there's an abundance of clients everywhere. We don't even have to try. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point about, you know, there's always something more to learn about people. I'd heard um, Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist, talk about this. And he talks about how, like, even if you have a best friend or a wife that you think you know, there's so much more. And they own, people only reveal enough about, the, about themselves to keep you interested. Because if you knew everything about somebody, you'd basically bored, be bored with them and you wouldn't want to interact with them anymore. And as long as you're willing to ask questions and be curious, they'll always be willing to reveal a little bit more about themselves. And as they grow, it's not like they're just a static person at 20, 20 to 40, they're completely different people. So they have different things to reveal at that time. So it's really interesting yeah. to think that you could do that with a client, right? That you can get that deep with them. Yeah. And you can, you really can. Um, the stories that people have are incredible and to look at somebody at face value, that's not what we're about. It shouldn't be what we're about. We shouldn't just take somebody and, and treat them like an object. Um, understanding somebody's soul, understanding somebody's intention, understanding 
you know, a couple's why and for them to know their why that's the most important part. Um, because we're curious about it, they get to learn about it. And when they look at their photographs, it's, it's a completely different experience because they know the story and they're feeling something very different to when they, you know, when they come and approach you originally, they don't really know what to expect. They're definitely not expecting anyone to, you know, pay attention to them. And it just self propels. People just love it. And why not? We're making people feel better about themselves. We, you know, so many people are, are saying to us that, you know, we've made their marriages so much better. Yeah. That's it, a it, it, it almost, it almost sounds like the photographer, like when they're providing this experience or getting this, this connection, like they almost turn into like a coach of some sort or some sort of like sort of. life coach. So, well, sort of, I mean, it's just about being curious. Um, yeah. yeah. Rather than when somebody rings you and says, you know, I'm a cancer survivor, rather than going, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I should give you all my, all the prints for free, you know, ask them, what is the gift that cancer's given you? You know, how has that impacted your life right now? And people have the most incredible stories. And it's almost like that you hear them sigh, they go, oh, because they're just over everybody feeling sorry for them. And in most cases, their life began the day that they found, you know, found out they were a cancer survivor and they've lived much more fulfilling lives, much more fulfilling, you know, relationships since then. And it's, you know, for them to, to be able to explain that without somebody feeling sorry for them. Um, I know it's, you know, a difficult thing for a lot of people to, to approach, but you know, the reality is when we've asked people that question, it's been totally positive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that. And you're right. I mean, for a lot of people, the, the first thing is to either acknowledge and just kind of bulldoze someone's story and just kind of get to the point. Cause it feels like every time someone gets on the phone, it's like the only thing we know to do is just tell them about ourselves. And it seems like you're stopping photographers. You're getting them to like, listen and actually listen, not just, you know, head nod and say, well, my studio is so great because of my awards and my years but they're asking questions and I feel like in the end that ends up making the sale or the booking process just a lot easier for them. It is because the clients are attracted to you and they just want a book. Um, you know, for boudoir, we, we would always ring the husbands and find out, you know, what is it about her that is unique? Why did you, why is this the woman you decided you wanted to spend the rest of your life with? What was special about her? take us back to that moment that you knew this was the one, what was happening? Why was that important? What expressions are you loving right now? How is that? You know, how did you know? And, you know, to give that gift to somebody, um, cause a lot of men are vaults. They don't express any of that. Um, because we just haven't given ourselves permission to do that. So, you know, to, to call them and, and find out about, you know, what, what they love about that person, you can't help but look at those photos differently. You can't help but photograph that person differently because you know their story and you know more about them. So it just changes. It, it will change the way you shoot purely because you have heard what this person means to somebody else. Like I get to, that. We had it. 
Sorry. Yeah. No, you can continue. No, I was going to go off on another complete tangent. Yeah, yeah. No, um, you've got to rein me in. You've got to rein me in. And and that's probably unique to uh, boudoir is, I, and I and I've seen the horror stories of like people posting in groups and saying, you know, my I got a text message from the husband. He's threatening, you know, and they're getting these like nightmare clients. Like, could it have something to do with, you know, just the the process where the inquiry was taken in and just the communication and you know how do they avoid that? You know, because I can imagine, you know, it, it's probably pretty scary to get that, especially if you're a woman photographer and then you have a guy texting you that he's going to come down to your studio and rip out your hard drive or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we, we like, we always got them involved as quickly as, as possible because um, not only will it triple the sale, um, but having them involved and having them express what they love the most about this person. And for some women, um, having him actually for the, for the first time stand up for her or the first time in a really long time, stand up for her and, and, um, and hear what he has to say about her, um, to have him there during design consultation, standing up for her, letting her know what he loves the most about whatever photo that he's, you know, that they, they could be deciding on because he'll pick very differently to her. Um, a lot of the women have found very, very empowering because um, they needed that person to stand up, stand up for them. And, and they needed to hear that he cared enough to, to make the time. Yeah. To do that for her. So, you know, and even, you know, understanding who this woman is as somebody's best friend um, sometimes is really, really important too. So, you know, that was another angle that we would take in boudoir. Sometimes, you know, you don't have access to the husband. So who are you as somebody's best friend? And finding out from that person. Gotcha. What, what are the qualities that she brings? You know, why is she your best friend? Who is she as a best friend? You know, if there were three words that described what is unique about this person to you, what would they be? And then, you know, this is where the system comes in and you, you know, you filter all that down. Um, but it, the system's all about becoming curious and, and teaching people what we would do normally if we were genuinely interested with people, understanding different personality types and, and adapting to each personality type. So then we don't have horror clients because in most client, in most cases, those horror clients tend to be the opposite personality type to us. And we just don't know how to deal with them. So just understanding, okay, I've got an Eagle coming in. Now I need to do this as opposed to I'm dealing with a dove <laughs> who is yeah. that all caring person, you know, very different to an Eagle. So, you know, just adapting what you do, um, tends to avoid all of that. So I know we could talk for hours on this and like that topic is very interesting. Uh, if somebody wanted to learn more, where could they find out more about you? SteveSaporitoEducation.com. Um, there's, I've got an online platform. There's lots of, um, online videos that cover everything that we've talked about pretty much and map it all out for you. Um, there's a platinum membership, which, you know, gets you downloads and all sorts of things. Um, or you can buy individual courses individually. It's up, up, up to anyone else. And I run workshops um, in the US and in the UK. Um, so there's workshops as well. 
but there's the, the online is very accessible. So Steve Saperito, education.com. Awesome. And I'll put that in the notes for this as well. Well, Steve, I really appreciate it. I'm going to see you at PPA. So hopefully anyone else Yay. as well, we'll link I'm up. I'm speaking again. They've asked me back. I can't believe it. So excited. Uh, well, do you already know the topic? Yes. Yes, but I haven't worked on it yet, so I need to start working on that now. But it's, it's very much in line with what we were talking about. Awesome. In creating quality clients. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun. I loved it last year, so I so, was so excited when they asked me back. I couldn't believe it, actually. I'm like, oh, God, two years in a row? That's great. Again, I, I, thought, your, I thought your talk was one of the best ones, and that's why we're here. Oh, so. wow. There you I go. Really, you, <laughs> thank yeah. you. That's awesome. I really, I really appreciate it, Steve. Thank you so much for being with us. No worries. Thank you.